0: I'm Brian Carrington, and you're listening to Call Talk for June 18, 2014. Today's topic is around customer effort. Well, and more accurately, let's put it, today's topic is a challenge to customer effort. So now, if you're listening live, I'd like to invite you to be a part of the show and ask questions, and it's really easy. Here's how you can do it. The first way, most common, is to email me at brian at benchmarkportal.com. So if you're by your computer tablet or laptop just go to brian at benchmarkportal.com spelled out b-r-i-a-n at benchmarkportal.com and shoot me your question you can also call in and if you're by a phone or close to one just grab it and dial three four seven eight five seven three one one seven again real quick 347-857-3117, 347 857 3117 But make sure you press the number one on your phone to let me know you have a question and I'll get you in. I also want to remind you that all of our shows are archived and available to listen to any time that's convenient for you at benchmarkportal.com. So check out. We have many, many different shows and topics available for you to enjoy. So at this point, I'd like to introduce the host of Call Talk, Mr. Bruce Belfiore.
1: Thank you, Brian, and welcome back to Call Talk, everyone. Today's topic, as Brian mentioned, is a challenge to customer effort. We brought in an expert on the topic for you, Dr. Fred Van Bennekom. Fred is the author of Customer Surveying, a guidebook for service managers, and specializes in helping organizations collect and apply customer and employee feedback in a statistically valid manner. Fred teaches operations management in Northeastern University's Executive MBA program. And before earning his doctorate, he served as an information systems consultant for Digital Equipment's field service organization. Through his company, Great Brook, Dr. Van Benekom conducts workshops and advises clients on their survey practices. How are you doing today, Fred?
2: I'm doing pretty good, Bruce. It's It's good to be back in the Eastern time zone again for a change. (laughs) <laughs> That's good, I know you've been zooming around various
1: places, and also you've just uh, celebrated a major birthday So happy birthday to you, I mean, it's great that you finally turned 29
2: uh, 29 and holding, as my keychain fob says <laughs> Exactly, <laughs> good, good Well, here is, this is Brett. Yeah, it, it is. is, it is Well, you know,
1: we're, we're as old as we, we feel, so we feel great, right? Oh, I'll, I'll, yep, give me another beer
2: and I'll feel even better. <laughs> <laughs>
1: exactly. Okay, well, this is Fred's second appearance on Call Talk this year. And Fred, the reason I invited you twice is that you're uh, known as a call center iconoclast in the industry. And, and really, I love a lively debate that's based on numbers and not just uh, somebody's gut feelings. And your first appearance uh, was a discussion in depth of net promoter score. That's the April 2014 show for any of our listeners who would like to uh, retrieve it from archives, and uh, really, you know, uh, did some uh, real deep forensics on the NPS uh, metric. And now you're back to do some forensics on uh, CES, uh, Customer Effort Score. So I'll call this episode uh, CSI for CES. How do you like that, Fred?
2: Oh, boy. Okay. (laughs) Okay.
1: Okay, good. well, and you know the reason we do this is to encourage managers in our industry to think about these metrics, uh, to also give ammunition for uh, really appropriate discussions and sometimes push back in their own organizations when uh, perhaps people are giving too much credibility to certain metrics or misusing them, uh, and uh, because you know we feel that decisions should be fact- based and not simply fad based. Uh, You know, really budgets, careers, and customers are all at stake. So these are important things to to think about and to challenge. And uh, so uh, we're we're really happy to have you. I'm I'm calling you Forensic Fred now. And we recommend everybody listen to your uh, dissection. In fact, some might say destruction of NPS at the uh, April, uh, April show, which is in Archive. So now now let's move to the uh, picking of CES apart. Uh, and, Fred, for this, should we have a scalpel or a chainsaw?
2: Um, I think the chainsaw would be more appropriate. <laughs> okay, good. Well, listen, before we get into the,
1: the real substance, uh, you know, chronologically in terms of how they came out into the industry, uh, CES, customer effort, is, is really a puppy compared with national promoters, uh, national, uh, with um, – a net Promoter Score.
2: So is Customer Effort Score the new Net Promoter Score? Well, I have no doubt that those pushing Customer Effort Score as a loyalty metric wanted to achieve the same cult status as the Net Promoter Score. And in some respects, there are parallels between the two of them, but in many ways, uh, the research behind CES makes NPS look absolutely wonderful from a research perspective. Okay, well, there's a ringing endorsement,
1: considering what was said about uh, NPS on the previous show. Well, you know, I definitely want to find out what that means, but uh, what, what one word would you use to define the customer, customer effort score? Uh, how about bonjour? Bon, well, that, that, it wasn't exactly what I was expecting. Um, right. <laughs>
2: Fred, you've got some explaining to do on that one. All right, yeah, some splaining in here, Ricky. Um, Well, you know, we've all seen that commercial on TV where that not-so-bright blonde who's meeting her date says, he's French, I met him (laughs) on the Internet, and the guy comes comes and goes bonjour. Um, And the message behind that commercial is just because it's on the Internet, that doesn't mean it's true. And I'll argue the same holds true here. Just because some research is published in the Harvard Business Review or there are articles on some websites doesn't mean the research findings are true, and we really have to go back and look critically at the research methodology behind it before we accept the findings. And with CES, this is painfully true.
1: Ooh, okay, okay. Well, Monsieur, uh, before you share your pain with us, um how about some background on what CES is? Qu'est-ce
2: que c'est le CES? <laughs> <laughs> Mais oui, certainement. Um I actually took five years of French in high school, and I've been told I have a good French accent, so I'm I'm, I'm butchering it as much as I can. Well, listen, point. what do you expect from
1: a guy with a last name like Van Benicott? So. I don't know. I
2: got I got in the Zurich airport in the uh, Star Alliance lounge, I was chastised by the people there for how I said my last name, because I say it like an American rather than uh, the way a good Dutchman would say it. So uh, I have to be careful here. <laughs> okay. So, The background on CES, Um, a group called the Corporate Executive Board did some research. This is a consulting group that works heavily within the contact center industry, and they did some research that first got published in the Harvard Business Review in 2010 with an article entitled Stop Delighting Your Customers. That's a Mm -hmm. very provocative title, obviously, and Mm -hmm. more recently they have a book out called The Effortless Experience, The New Battleground for Customer Loyalty. And the findings from this research published in these two areas argue that a measurement of the level of effort a customer has to exert to get their issue handled is a predictor of customer loyalty. Uh, and they've generated a lot of buzz for their consultancy from, from this research, and in fact i 've actually seen white papers coming out from other consulting groups who are trying to glom on uh, this bandwagon of, of customer effort score.
1: okay
2: so so what's your issue here, Fred? Well, my first real issue is, you know, when I read some research findings, I want to understand how they did the research before I accept it, accept the research findings. And both in the article and in the book, they just don't explain the research that they've done so that the reader can, can read it and evaluate it and accept the validity of the research. So, so somewhat ironically, they preach that contact centers should deliver a low-effort customer experience, but they deliver a high-effort reader experience for the reader who wants to actually understand what they did in the research stream. Mm. And then my second issue is the bonjour. Uh, It's that people seem to be willing to accept the findings from the research without doing any critical thinking about the research that actually has been conducted. And that, as an educator, you know, we talk in academia about developing critical thinking skills amongst our students, and uh, I guess we failed. (laughs) Yeah, well,
1: (laughs) yeah, that's uh, quite, quite a condemnation, actually. And it is important, I mean, that people think beyond their comfort zones and think beyond whatever they read. Uh, to, uh, you know, try to really critique what it is that they're, they're using for purposes of management because, as uh, we said at the beginning, it's just too important not to have that kind of critical thinking applied. So, uh, Fred, I assume that you've done some critical thinking on this. Please, share uh, it with us.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And in fact, I have just published on my website an extensive review of Book and when I say extensive, I mean in a if, in a Word doc without any of the screenshots, it runs more than 10 pages length. So I, you know, I went through it point by point, and if you Google the phrase uh, customer effort flaws, my article should be right up near the front, so anybody listening to this, um, search on customer effort flaws and look for the greatbrook.com domain name, or you can go straight to my website at greatbrook, greatbrook. make sure that second I is in there, Uh, and under my resources link, it's my first article that's listed there. Right. Okay.
1: Cool. And, you know, we'd encourage people to read your things critically, too, because this is where the debate actually results in some good uh, results for the call center, because some people may say, you know, I agree with Fred on the things he's saying here. I still think there's some usefulness in CES, so I'm going to use it as an indicator, but I'm not going to worship it. I'm not going to give it the kind of weight in terms of its uh, supposed predicted value that uh, perhaps uh, the original
2: authors did. So, actually, this would be a good point, maybe, Fred, for you to summarize your issues. Sure, sure. Um, you know, there are basically in the big summary is I'm not saying that contact centers shouldn't measure customer effort but this, because I think it's vitally important as a consumer that I have a low effort experience. But the argument that contact centers or any service operation should use a measurement of customer effort as a loyalty predictor, and run their businesses on that premise, that I can say has just not been established by this research. And basically there are three issues that I have with the research. The first one is that the research model they use is weak if our goal is to actually predict customer loyalty. Number two, the execution of the research, the questionnaire design and the survey administration, is just full of flaws and shortcomings. And third, the researchers' understanding of statistics appear to be challenged, to be generous. Um, but aside from those three things, it's great. <laughs> okay. Uh, another ringing endorsement, Fred. Okay, Yeah, great. And, and uh, I'm trying not to be too caustic here. It's just it, it bothers me when I read stuff like this, and, and I, I just see people accepting it blindly. So, yeah, well, no, that's good. I mean, that's exactly
1: why I wanted uh, to get this message out because uh, you know I've I've also looked at this and it's uh, it's something that deserves uh, that kind of critical thinking if we're going to give it the um, the weight that some people are giving it. So and, you know, it sounds like we could talk about this for hours, um, but could, could you hit some key points for each of the three areas that you mentioned? One is the the, the research model. Uh, being weak, the second being the execution of the research uh, and the questionnaire design, et cetera, and the third being uh, the uh, the statistics underpinning of the whole thing. Could you sort of sure. go through those, and I think that will help our listeners to uh, have a better understanding of what your concerns are?
2: Sure. And, you know, basically when I'm reading articles like this, I'm applying the mindset that I do from when I went through my trainings to I'm a researcher in my doctoral program, we have to read articles and try to find where the research could be flawed before any article could get published in an academic journal. So we're t- kind of trained to think about it and see whether it makes sense and really challenge it. So starting out with the research model, their research model does not have a measure of actual future loyalty. Their research is totally based upon this one survey that's given to people at some point. We don't know exactly when. Uh, and on that one survey, there are measures of customer effort and a whole lot of other things about their uh, A service experience. And then there were also measures on that survey about intended future loyalty. And the mm-hmm. critical thing that they never address in the book is how good are those intended future loyalty measures at predicting actual customer loyalty. And in Mm. the book, many times they say intended future loyalty, but many times they don't include the word intended. So, you know, they really don't measure, they really don't predict actual future loyalty, only intended future loyalty.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting.
2: So okay. Mental weakness in the model. Yes. As opposed to the Net Promoter Score, where they actually did look at future behavior, longitudinal research, as opposed to what we call cross-sectional research. Mhm. Mhm. Okay. okay. Go
1: ahead. Sorry. No, no. I just. Uh, I know that we've got a lot to cover in a short period of time, so I'd like to continue on with uh, with your responses on, on the three different points.
2: Sure. So the second one had to do with the survey execution, the execution of the actual survey project. And again, they really don't tell us how they did this. And my issue when I look at a lot of these uh... the shortcomings is as a question of whether there's validity and reliability in the research data that it generates. You know, how did they actually administer this survey instrument, whatever instrument it is? They never share the instrument with us and they only, we only actually see one or two questions in the descriptions. And Mm -hmm. when we're talking about the administration of of this survey, what did the introduction look like? How did they solicit people to take the survey? What was what we surveyors call the mental frame that they established for the participant? That is, what service transaction did they want the respondent to actually report on in the survey? All of these things are important to understand uh, how that would uh, affect the data that are actually submitted by the respondent. Another thing is that, you know, they claim that the customer effort score tied into this is that the customer effort score is a good loyalty indicator in a transactional survey environment. But their research was not truly a transactional survey. So, you know, Mm -hmm. they're making claims that really aren't justified by the research. So uh, I think that, you know, these are
1: important uh, points. I think about a discussion I had just recently with regard to, Uh, you know, the customer satisfaction question. You know, overall, how satisfied were you with the transaction, the interaction that you just had? And uh, the discussion was on, okay, if you have a a quick panel of questions, should you put that question at the beginning or at the end? And will there be a statistical difference between uh, the results at the beginning and the end? (laughs) Sometimes there is. So, you know, if that is the granularity to which we're getting down to when it comes to customer satisfaction, then certainly the absence of knowing what the survey tool or, the, the, you know, the structure of the survey was for CES
2: is something to be concerned about. I think that's a, a very legitimate thing. But even I'm even going a little bit beyond here. They say that they, they had people answer questions about a service event that they clearly remembered. I mean, that's actually what it says in the book. Well, how do they know the respondent clearly remembered the survey event? Did they put test questions in the survey to validate the responses? I don't know. Maybe they did. They don't tell us. But beyond that, did they just tell people to pick some service event that they recently had? Well, which one are you likely to answer about? probably Mm -hmm. a bad one
1: Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm.
2: that will color the data that's in the database it means it's not an unbiased sample it's a biased sample that is leaning heavily towards the negative uh experiences and that can color the findings but Mm -hmm. again they don't tell us any of this stuff
1: Mm. okay
2: but they did, in fact, uh, you know, talk about the wording of the original
1: CES question. Can you, can you tell us uh, about that? Because I, I yeah, found that very interesting.
2: This is the, the, where I had serious questions about customer effort was from the original article. When you look at the wording of their question, my jaw dropped when I read it. Um, it the wording, and I'm doing this from memory here, is um, the, the oh, how much effort did you personally put forth? to handle your issue. I'm I'm real close, if not exactly right. And they asked that on a one to five scale where five was high effort and one was low effort. First of all, the wording of it is incredibly vague and ambiguous, which means if there's ambiguity in the question, then the data lack validity. The second thing is their scale was inverted from the rest of the questions. And most of the questions in their survey, as they tell us, a higher score meant better, but on this question, a higher score was bad.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
2: And in fact, in the book, they talk about how the original CES question, which they call CES 1.0, had these five fundamental flaws in it. And Mm -hmm. they tell us this, and I'm like – You know, I I knew it right off the bat when I first read the thing. I I see hundreds of bad surveys in the workshops that I conduct that people bring in, and this was one of the worst survey questions I've ever seen. Now, in the book, they talk about how they've gone on from CES 1.0 to CES 2.0. I give them credit. They recognized the survey question was flawed, and they wrote a new question, which is much better. I still think there are some issues with it, but it's a much better question. But... Mm -hmm. When did they, how did, to whom did they actually administer this? If you read carefully in that section of the book, they talk about this question having been presented to thousands of customers. But the the survey results that they report on in whole have something like 97,000 respondents. There were 77,000 in 2010 article in Harvard Business Review, and now there's 97,000. Well, which version of the question is in that big survey that they analyzed. Based upon how they discussed it, I think that it was the original bad question. And what really bothered me from about, where I raised questions about their maturity as researchers, is after they tell us, hey, we fixed the question, they said, yeah, but look at the strong findings we got from CES 1.0. Mm-hmm. And it happened both ways.
1: Mm-hmm. right.
2: We found a flaw in the question. We fixed it, but they want us to believe the findings from the first question. If the first question lacked validity, that's the term we would use as surveyors, meaning the data it generates aren't valid, then forget about any findings from it. It's garbage. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, uh, again, tell us how you really feel, Fred.
2: (laughs) Well, (laughs) the issue is that a mature researcher would say, look, I screwed up, so forget everything I said before. You know, we realized the question wasn't valid, so those findings, you know, put them on hold. We're going to start a new research effort with a, a clean question. We're going to test it properly, and now we'll mm-hmm. go forward. But, you know, they're consultants. They don't want to say we screwed up, and I think that's what it's down to. You
1: know, okay.
2: We never want to admit we screwed up, right? Right. No, absolutely. Well, um, yeah, so the the new
1: different question is better. Uh, not perfect, but uh, one that, you know, for the future may hold some interesting uh, findings that will have more uh, basis in you know, sort of scientific fact than the, than what we had
2: on the first round. Is that your contention? Yeah. I, I, I mean, it's a much better question. I, I think it still presumes a self-service environment. If mm-hmm. you read the question, uh, it, it, it doesn't – it doesn't do you, even, have, it,
1: do you, do you, you know, have it there in front of you by any chance? Can you share that with our, our audience? No, oh, you the, would do
2: that to me. Let me pull it up. I mean, it's going to take me a moment, but I'll pull up the actual question. So I, okay. I actually don't have it right in front of me, but keep talking, and I'll have it for you. Okay. Um, all right. No, I got that. it. I got it here. The company okay. made it easy for me to handle my issue. There you go. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh,
1: so, so that's sort of all the resources that it had, the people, the technology you had to interact with, the procedures and processes. The company, you know, put that stuff together to make it easy for me to resolve uh, whatever my issue was. Okay, so, good. I,
2: My issue with it is that it sounds like a self-service environment.
1: Right, right.
2: Okay. Well, what if well, you're interacting with an agent in a contact center? Then it's not me who handles my issue, it's how I got my issue handled, Right, right. It has to do with the, the syntax of the sentence still is not perfect in my mind. Okay. Okay, well, good. Well, should we move on to number
1: three? Because I know sure. that you have some uh, some lively thoughts there as well.
2: Sure. Um, you know, when I look at the statistics they present, I, I, I cringed. And I, first of all, I'm not a statistician. I've had more statistics than most people, but uh, statistical training, but I know I'm not a statistician. So before, you know, I went and wrote up about this, I talked to two of my friends who are college professors, they're statisticians. Uh, They kind of chuckled about one or two things. So there are, you know, it makes me question when I looked at this stuff whether these people, whether the customer executive board has anybody on staff who's a true statistician. For example, they talk about, at one point a a 10% reduction in customer effort leading to a percentage increase in customer loyalty. They never tell us what that means operationally. So I Mm -hmm. have to assume that means that if you reduce the survey scores for customer effort by 10%, it would lead to an increase in the loyalty questions by X percent. But Mm -hmm. when you're talking about reducing a survey score by 10%, What exactly does that mean? And it sounds like, um, and I'm not sure what it means, but it sounds like they're they're assuming that the data have what we call ratio properties, that they go up or you can measure an increase or a decrease by 10%, and that's Mm -hmm. really not a a legitimate data property that interval rating questions have. Right. Okay, for the, for the purposes of our audience, too,
1: ratio doesn't mean that it has to be one-to-one, but it has to be mathematically uh, provable and, and scientifically provable in terms of a ratio. So, for example, uh, let's say customer satisfaction and being uh, related to something that I think everybody in the audience could relate to is if I have a 2% uh, improvement in first call resolution what's the percent improvement in customer satisfaction. It doesn't have to be 1% for 1%, but it has to be a ratio which uh, has some validity to it. And what you're saying is we just don't have that here. I mean, that, that's not in the cards in terms of what they've done.
2: Right. Ratio data is where there's a true zero on the scale. And in a 1 to 5 or 1 to 7 rating question, there is no true zero. And unless there's true zero, you can't talk about percentage Changed. Now, you can talk about percentage change in the percentage of people who gave us a five or a six, but that's not what they say in the book.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Okay, good. Anything else on number three? Sure. I mean, there's, there's a place where they're presenting information about the impact of some factors that drive customer loyalty, and it mm-hmm. appears from the way they discuss it that they're reporting on what we call P-values, which talk about the statistical significance of different factors. Right. Again, don't tell us what the data are, but the way that they've interpreted it is, if it is p-values, then they don't understand what p-values present. And again, Mm -hmm. in my article, I talk about it in more detail, and I have a link for what p-value means. But I just looked at it, and I scratched my head over it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then another place where they really, I mean, this really bothered me. Early in the book, they show a chart that shows the impact of various factors on customer loyalty. They never tell us where they got those numbers, but I believe they got it from running regression tests. In one place in the book, in a footnote, they talk about regression uh, equations. So I believe these are what we call regression coefficients or beta coefficients in a regression model. And here's the issue. They add the beta coefficients to come up with a total potential impact. There is no legitimate interpretation of the addition of a regression coefficients. It's bad algebra, let alone bad statistics. Okay, okay good. Anything else? Well, th- there's another one, and this one again bothered me. At one point, they talk about um, that uh, merely one service event, and that's the language they use some of the, in some of the regression, that merely one service event Determines one third of customer loyalty. Well, and and they talk about this as this, this astounding finding that service managers should be concerned that one service event determines a third of customer loyalty. Well, the truth is, when we're dealing with a company, we have more than one service event. So, does that mean if we have two service events, that would determine 67 percent of customer loyalty, and three events would determine 100 percent of loyalty, and six events would d- determine 200% of customer loyalty? Okay. okay, okay, I think we got it. Okay. I think we got it. Yeah, go ahead. Uh-huh. Yes, so basically where they should have, when they saw that conclusion, they should have stepped back and said, wait a second, this doesn't sound right. And instead mm-hmm. they, they they doubled down and said, boy, this is an important finding, but it actually shows the weakness in their research model because mm-hmm. it is, that we as researchers call face validity or conclusion validity, which basically says, says Does the, do the conclusions make sense? And mm-hmm. the idea that, on average, a service event determines one-third of future customer loyalty is just preposterous.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Well, you know, unfortunately,
1: we're getting toward the end of our hour, and I would like to get a question or two in here. But a lot of issues that you brought out, Fred, and we really appreciate that. Uh, so what's one a big takeaway here, Fred?
2: Well, um, I'm, again, I'm saying co- contact sh- centers shouldn't ignore measuring customer effort. I think it's important. But this idea that customer effort is a loyalty predictor, that's where they should be uh, looking at it with a giant grain of salt.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay.
2: Well, very good. Uh, thank you very much, and, and with that, I'd like
1: to uh, ask Brian to bring in some questions from uh, from our audience.
0: Sounds good. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, I've got uh, two questions. The first one came in via email, and from Ron, and asking, uh, is there a transactional survey which provides the t- statistical backing that CES indicates loyalty?
2: Um I'm not aware of any research that shows that and, again, getting back to my first part about the research model, what we should be doing is conducting our transactional survey here for customer A and then look forward and compare that to the purchasing behavior of customer A six months, 12 months, 24 months from now. I'm not aware of anybody who's done that looking using the customer effort score.
0: Okay. Very good. Um, the second question comes in from Miriam, and she asks, what steps would you take to determine if a survey is rubbish?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, somebody kind of glommed onto my language here, we here go. and I seem to be so late. <laughs> <naked, but>, uh, <laughs> so kudos to Miriam there. Uh, first of all, you should always be skeptical of any research, especially if the researchers don't share the details of the research methodology. For example, if they don't share the questionnaire, or the details of how the survey was conducted, you should be very skeptical about the results. Second, you know, you know this idea of looking at the, if they do give us the survey instrument and in the survey questions, look for ambiguity in the wording of the questions. Look for multiple interpretations of the question. So, again, if we look at that customer effort question, uh, we can see where there could be multiple interpretations of it. And that's what we want to try to avoid. So in this case, you know, they're not telling us things and you wonder what's behind the curtain, so to speak. And third, when we think about the administration process, is there something about the way the survey is administered that could lead to a bias in how people uh, respond to the survey, a biased subset of who responds to the survey?
1: Mm Mm -hmm. Yeah, if I could just add that uh, those are all very important points. And, you know, there are certain times when it's uh, understandable that for commercial and uh, confidentiality reasons uh, some people want to protect some secret sauce. But, um, you know, it shouldn't be to the point where you're not able to understand the process, see how they're doing things, um, and, uh, you know, be able to actually critique what's going on. So I think those are all very valuable points that, that we've got. Um, you know, Brian, we're at the bottom of the hour now, so uh, I think we probably have to uh, cut it off here, unfortunately, because this is a really important and, and very lively discussion. And I want to thank uh, Fred for, for coming on our show once again, and uh, we look forward to hopefully having you on in the future as well.
2: Well, good. Somebody needs to put out another loyalty predictor metric, and then I'll come back. <laughs> okay well we'll we we'll have forensic Fred's uh, favorite uh predictors all right okay, Thank
0: thanks, Bruce and Fred. I appreciate it uh, some really good uh conversation there, and uh forensic Fred, I think we're that's the beginning of something here so um, all of course, right. one of the all, <laughs> all of our listeners for joining us here at call Talk today and remind you that uh of course we're doing this every month, so our next show is July sixteenth. But if you can't catch us live, it's not a problem. Go to our website, benchmarkportal.com, where you can look for our archives of all our great topics we've covered over the last several years. Also, don't forget to sign up at our website for a free benchmark report and see how your contact center compares with others in the industry. So with that all being said, again, from all of us here at Benchmark Portal, keep those headsets steady and your fingers ready. This is Brian Carrington signing out. Have a great day. That's a wrap. Take care. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Oh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over and for by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, for details. Tax day is coming. Oh, no.